Hey everyone, welcome back to Teenager Therapy. I'm Gael. I'm Thomas. I'm Kayla. I'm Mark. And welcome back to the podcast. Now, this episode is about a topic that we haven't really covered much, um, and that's our relationship with food. We've talked about body dysmorphia, I think, or body expectations. Yeah. But not necessarily about our our relationship with food, um, which I think is a really, really big problem for a lot of teenagers um do you guys eat breakfast no no i try to but like if i miss it it's like okay whatever how many meals do you guys eat on average two yeah Same. just two yeah why Why don't you guys eat breakfast um either i actually no most of the time is because i don't have time but sometimes i'm just not hungry yeah i don't have the appetite yeah and, and i just don't make it a priority same. Uh, what time do you guys eat your first meal then? Whenever I wake up. Like, <laughs> like whenever I wake up, whenever I like get hungry, then I'm like, okay, I'll go oh. eat. It's usually around like 3. Yeah. PM? Oh mm-hmm. my god. Oh shit. Mine's like 11 and oh. or like 1. Oh, that's what I consider like breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's shit. breakfast. Mm. What about you? Do you eat breakfast? I do. All three meals? All three meals. I've always ate three meals in my life. Like every single day I eat three meals. Um, Which I think is a really big privilege. It's definitely a really big privilege of mine that I've always had a consistent eating schedule. I always woke up. First thing I did was eat breakfast. And then later on I ate my lunch. And then at night I ate my dinner. Um, And I think a lot of that was because I had uh a mom who cooked so people like to say you live either in an ingredient household or in a snack household ingredient or like pre-made food household right Mm -hmm. and i lived in an ingredient based household so there was always ingredients that you can make yourself something with and it was rarely just like ready to eat stuff so my whole life i kind of just grew up having to know like if there's no food i make something instead of like heating something up and i think that's also why i'm like so used to having good eating habits is because i like i'm kind of forced to since i have to make it myself what do you normally eat for like your breakfast or lunch or dinner for breakfast i always eat eggs like eggs is like 90 percent of it right now i'm obsessed with eggs and beans that is shut the fuck up <laughs> i know no, it's so delicious. i eat beans it is no it's because beans get a bad rep because of the uk they're eating the beans in like this disgusting ass way i'm just kidding i'm joking you know what that was really mean i'm sorry <laughs> wow, to all our english fans i've never even tried your food but just i've seen pictures and the pictures don't look very appetizing i'm willing to change my stance anyways i just don't want to get canceled okay. mexican beans are delicious Okay, um, so right now I've just been eating like eggs and beans with like a tortilla and it's so fucking good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry, but anyway, that's not the point. The point is our relationship with food. How's your guys' relationship with food? Have you, do you see it as something that you have to do throughout the day or it's kind of like, it's optional? Optional. Optional. Yeah, I would say, um. And something that I've, that's been happening to me a lot recently is I get nauseous, like, just thinking about, like, me eating food. It's, really? it's kind of weird. And I think it especially happens when, like, something is, like, on my mind a lot or, like, something bad happens where, like, eating food, even if I am hungry, I just, like, can't really eat it. Like, I'll take a bite and I'll be like, ugh. It just, it just feels, I don't know, nasty, I guess. Um, but that's been happening to me recently. Really? Where, yeah. It's like, even if I am really hungry, sometimes when I'm like, maybe even halfway, I'm just like, I don't want to eat it anymore. Like, Do you start focusing too much on like the texture of the food or is it just the flavor or you're just done I, with it? I really don't know <laughs> what happens, but. It's just like a little switch in my head where it's like, mm, I don't want to eat it anymore. Mm. Even if I like am hungry, I just, I don't know. I don't know. Do you guys feel that too? 
I feel like I've definitely felt that before. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I don't know. My relationship with food is like kind of concerning sometimes. It was especially concerning during like junior and senior year because that's when I struggled the most with like my body and appearance. I remember I I did feel nauseous like every time I ate like and I would regret eating like every time I ate I would just like I would feel horrible about myself and I would like not eat for the rest of the day and then there were times where I wouldn't eat for like the whole day and then I would eat all at once and then I would feel horrible and it was just like just a very irregular eating schedule and eating habits that kind of why why did you feel bad after you ate because I struggled a lot with my body I always felt like um for the longest time I like couldn't gain weight like no matter how hard I tried I was always like very skinny and could not like gain anything and then suddenly everything kind of changed as I got older um and then like then I started getting weight and then as soon as I started getting weight then like my relationship with food became very unhealthy was it do you think it was mostly based like your relationship with food was very irregular or just not the healthiest because of your focus on appearance i think so yeah like yeah so it wasn't like necessarily food itself it was just what it caused to your body that made you kind of despise it yeah oh yeah and i remember like there was a specific incident like during our road trip where we were at we stopped at a grocery store and I was like really really struggling with my appearance and my self-esteem. We go in there, there's like this weight thing, and then Kayla and Mark go on it and like I didn't want to go on it. And then I was just like surrounded by like so much food and it was so overwhelming and I got a panic attack. Mm, really? And that was yeah. And I feel like that ha- has never really happened before where it got so intense and like I fixated so much on food to the point where it was like sending me into this state. Was there like, what did you feel in that moment? Because you're surrounded by food and you see the weight. Is there like a desperation of, of like I'm gaining weight or I'm losing weight or what? did you feel i don't know i i don't really know i just remember i hated myself and like i hated being in that environment because it just reminded me of like all the food i have like a kind of like a binge eating problem Mm -hmm. and uh i don't want to like self-diagnose because i really don't know if this is an eating disorder but i would binge eat like a lot and i found comfort with food when my mental health was really bad, um, I would eat. And every time I got stressed, I would eat. And I think junior and senior year was especially a very stressful time for me. Like, both academically and personally. Uh, so, I ate a lot during that time. Like, st- I would stress eat. And then I would gain weight. And then I would resent myself for it. But, I don't know. It was... It was was always back and forth, Mm -hmm. you know? (sighs) And I think as soon as I went to college and I was, like, kind of forced to have this eating schedule because whenever my friends would eat, I would just eat. And also college like the environment at college was just a lot healthier than the environment at home and the people there were different from here and my the change in my mental health also did a lot for that so yeah i don't know i think mm-hmm. a lot of my problems with food just stem from a low self-esteem and my poor mental health interesting 
So I, I find it interesting. You mentioned that like when you went to college, you had to change routine and you were kind of forced to eat when other people ate. Because I mean, what else were you going to do? So yeah. You might as well. Because I feel like yeah. a lot of times when I meet someone, they're like, I don't, I forget to eat. It's mostly because there was never that sense of routine of eating together as a group. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why I guess people forget to eat. So going to college, did that change like your guys' relationship? Like you too, Kayla, do you find yourself eating like more because you're in college? I do actually. Um, and I think it's a little bit of what Thomas was saying. It's like, oh, all of my friends are going to eat. So I'll go with them because I don't want to eat like dinner by myself or like have to make it myself. Um, so I think I do eat more in college. And also because like, we have these meal swipes and we usually have extra so sometimes i feel the need like i need to like go get something so that like i can use up all my swipes mm. and do you think it's improved your relationship with food has it built like better habits i think still sometimes i struggle with like if i'm like craving something that's like not like healthy or whatever <laughs> this specifically happens when i'm like really hungry and like i haven't eaten like for like a few hours i like get off of work i'm like so hungry and like i just want to eat like everything inside thomas knows what i'm mm-hmm. talking about it's like i want like the most unhealthy things mm. and do you know yeah <laughs> no for sure <laughs> like i will little want caesars. like little caesars yeah i'll eat like anything and sometimes i like go through this little debate in my head where i'm like well it doesn't hurt to like just have like a little donut or yeah. like you know um yourself type of thing. it's like i don't do this daily like it's just i'm really hungry but then i'm like no you shouldn't do that and i don't know if that's the part of my brain that's like i guess thinking of it in like a bad way in mm. terms of like how it's gonna make like me luck eventually do you know it's like mm-hmm. oh i'm gonna gain weight yeah. i keep on doing this mm-hmm. um and like ninety nine percent of the time, I'm like, no, it's gonna make me feel like shit. Mm-hmm. And usually that that is the case. It's like I'll eat it, and then I'm like, why did I do that? Mm-hmm. It's like I I regret it afterwards. Um, so I just have to remind myself of the feeling that I get after I eat that. And then you stop yourself from eating it. Yeah. Okay. Then I'll just get like a soup or something. Interesting. Yeah, because like I feel like we see unhealthy food as a way to reward ourselves. Oh, wait sorry i just thought of something too and like at home Mm -hmm. um we wouldn't normally get like sweets i guess you could say like we wouldn't get like donuts Mm. or like this or that and so then when i'm at school i'm like well i have the option to it's like i can buy it you know because before we wouldn't get it because it's like well why it's like waste of money just Mm -hmm. don't do it but now i'm like well i can so it's also that sense of like i can do it if i want Mm-hmm. and because i couldn't before you know mm, interesting damn what about you mark mm. do you see food as like good and bad do you just see it as like it's food i mean i used to be a picky eater like a really picky mm-hmm. eater and that would be a problem for my my mom because she would have to like think of like impromptu meals like if let's say they make a Dish that I don't like at home, um, she would just like feed me rice and soy sauce because that was like mm-hmm. one of my favorite meals. And then, um, I like you see like takeout a lot, like a lot, a lot. Like I would eat like McDonald's like almost every day. That's like the only thing that I would accept. Um, and I remember like my family would like make me cry or like I would cry because of how picky I was and. Then, it's like, you know, I don't, I don't even want this. And then it, like, got to a point. Or, I mean, I, I think this is the reason why. But then I would, like, rather, like, just not eat than, like, eat whatever is, like, on the table. And then um, that's how it is, like, for me, like, right now. It's, um like, sometimes I choose to, like, stay hungry mm-hmm. if it's if I'm not going to, like, like the meal and stuff like that if that makes sense interesting yeah because um why i keep saying that anyways so i want to go back to uh your snack ingredient house yeah 
um i pretty much live in like a snack snack household like there'd be like a pantry of like full of snacks like a room full of snacks or in my apartment there'd be like a closet like full of like snacks to eat mm-hmm. and like there'd rarely be any like ingredients for me to make and it didn't take until like i'd say like high school when i started to get into fitness where i started buying mm-hmm. like my own meals or like my own ingredients you know mm-hmm. like buying peanut butter bread chicken mm-hmm. rice that's when i started like making foods for myself but then over time i started getting like lazy and um i guess like my habit of just like choosing to starve uh like came again and then i started to like connect my relationship with food like with my mom because mm. I guess in middle school, I used to live with my uncle, and then he's like pretty like well off, so he was able to support my entire family with like food, and so like he'd bring him food. Uh, he provide all the meals, but then once I started, once I moved, it was just me and my mom, and then she was like not in the house like too many times, and so I had to like figure out ways to eat, and then I I like like thought of food like a way for like my mom to show love and like that she cares about me and so i would like get mad at her if she wasn't able to get me food or like buy food because mm-hmm. most of the time i would have to like use my own money or like make my own meals and yeah and then like yeah yeah no i just got i just got really mad because of that that was your sign of love like just yeah like providing for you yeah because i'd always see um other people and their families making food for them Mm -hmm. like when like when i go to your house like your mom would cook meals and that's like and i would always think like oh that's Mm -hmm. that's something that i want yeah that would be nice you know how you went to like the snack versus ingredient household yeah it's so funny because i used to be like really jealous of the people that would like have snacks yeah (laughs) (laughs) like i would see them with like cheez-its and oreos and i'd be like oh my god like that's how i know you're like well off (laughs) i was just like i would be so jealous it's like oh my god i want that like because at home it was very much like you know lunch dinner Mm -hmm. breakfast if i wanted um but we didn't have snacks and so like when i would see that oh my god i'm so jealous of you So it was like the grass is always greener situation. Yeah. Because I, yeah, I was thinking like the total opposite. I remember in first grade, I got flamed on for like always eating snacks during lunch. Damn, I really? That. I thought I was the dream back then. <laughs> I know, right? This guy was like, yo, why are you eating that? Like, you got to eat healthy food. I'm like, you know, you're right. And so I like asked my mom, can I go get school lunch? <laughs> and so oh. that's the reason why I got school lunch. I don't know if this ever happened to you, but like, because you were a picky eater, like, yeah. did your, like, parents or, like, relatives ever make you eat something that you didn't want to? Definitely. Like, do you think that helped or sort of, like, worsened mm. how you felt with food? Um, definitely didn't help because I, I continued to, like, stay picky. And um, I would just be, like, scared. I'd be scared, like, not the food, but, like, the like the person themselves. Like, I would be, um, yeah, I would just form, like, a, it would worsen the relationship with the person themselves, not, not yeah. the food. Yeah. That's so interesting, because I, in my household, my mom always kind of made it an emphasis to... Yeah. I think this is like typical. I'm sure you guys have experienced it of being like, oh, you got to eat your vegetables. Like you have to eat them or it's like you can't like leave, right? You have to eat them. And so they usually, when you're a kid, you don't want to eat vegetables. You don't want to eat a lot of foods, but your parents kind of make you. And then at least in my experience, I just grew to start to like them. Like I would hate like avocado, lettuce, spinach, vegetables. Like I didn't want to eat them. But my mom always forced me to like eat them. And so now I like, I enjoy them and like I really do like them. So for you, it, it like because i i see what you're saying kayla for some people it just makes them resent it and just like mm. absolutely hate the taste they can't stand it mm. um in my experience i 
okay, my relationship with food has been um I think it's been it's been decently healthy. I think it's been sustainable. Um when I was in elementary, I think from like third to like sixth grade to like seventh grade, I was like pretty fat. So I remember feeling very insecure because I just felt fat and didn't like feel good. And even though I was so young and like, you know, people around me told me like, oh, you're young. It doesn't matter. I like still felt very insecure about it. Um, And I would just, oh my God, when I was young, like I ate so much, like I ate so fucking much. Like my dinner would be like three huge ass bowls of Fruit Loops. (laughs) Yeah. Like big ass bowls. Like I don't think yeah. any of you could finish the amount of Fruit Loops I was consuming back then. <laughs> Would you fill it up to the brim? Too yes. And put hella milk, right? Yes. I did that with honey bunches. Oh bro. my god! Yeah, it was oh so much. God. It was so, so fucking funny. much. Yeah. Like I would eat a lot. Okay, and on my own, I would eat a lot. So it's obviously that's why I was fat. Um, and then around seventh grade, I was really insecure, and I really wanted to lose weight. Like I wanted to be skinny so badly. And I remember I started to exercise a lot and then we were in PE from middle school. So that physical activity helped a lot. And I would put myself on these very restrictive diets. I remember in seventh grade, like I would go on YouTube and I would search up how to lose weight fast and look at the videos. And it's kind of shitty that you have access to the internet. And then you also have shitty people making really shitty content and being like, oh, three tips to lose weight fast. Only drink water. Apple cider vinegar. Apple cider vinegar <laughs> if you want to lose your belly yeah. fat. And three, just don't eat. And so, you know, as a sixth, seventh, as a seventh grader, like I would be like, okay, I got to do that. And I remember searching up like, what's the quickest possible fucking way to lose weight? And people were like, oh, there's like a, there's a three-day diet where you basically eat nothing but water and like a couple apples a day. It's oh. called like the military diet or something stupid. Um, And I remember doing that where... It wasn't even a diet. It was just like starving yourself, basically. Um, And I remember like I went like a week or two where I was basically just starving myself, just eating almost absolutely nothing um, for days on end while still running and being active. And I did that. And then other times I would drink a lot of water and like eat very, very little. Um, And I mean, I don't even know if I want to say that the diet like worked. I mean, obviously they worked. I was starving myself, but I don't want to say it because it. I feel like it would encourage people to do the same. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you hear me saying like, oh, it worked for me, even though it was shitty. Like you, you're going to undoubtedly, if you're listening right now, you're going to go out and try it because I know how desperate it can be when you want to lose weight. But please don't do that. Please do not like starve yourself or eat like an unhealthy amount of low calorie foods, like to the point where you're just starving yourself because all it's going to do, I really regret doing it because... One, I lost fat, but I kind of just ended up looking skinny fat since I didn't have any muscle because I was starving myself. So I like the, you know, small amount of muscle I had just went away and it just left me like very flabby and whatnot. Um, So something I really regret. And I went through that period where I just wanted to lose weight really, really badly. And so my relationship with food was like starving myself. And then I remember I started tracking calories around that time. So I would use like MyFitnessPal. And if you've ever fallen victim to the chokehold that my fitness pal has on you you'll know that i would track my calories and i would track every single thing i ate i would weigh it out i would make sure like what am i eating and then i would track my calories and i lost weight whatever i was skinny and then i kind of forgot about it i was like okay i'm skinny now and i i forgot about it for a little bit and then after that um in freshman year i started tracking my calories again and i think um, it was around no soft yeah around like beginning of sophomore year I started going to the gym and I started tracking my calories um, and I started being like very very mindful of what I put into my body I wanted to make sure I had like enough protein enough carbs enough fat I didn't want to eat too much sugar and I think it was around the time I started getting into fitness that my relationship with food got honestly I think better I think it got a lot better um, I. After that, like, once I entered high school, I just despised, like, all, like, most American food. Like, almost all the food that isn't vegetables, fruit, and meat is, like, uneatable to me. I can't. I don't want to eat it. I hate eating, like, processed food. I just, and I think a lot of this came from being educated on how shitty American food is and how everything is processed. There's chemicals. There's fucking terrible terrible things in the food here that like 
just disgust me and i think i think about like me putting that in my body and i just like i visualize it i visualize that food going in and like digesting itself and i just get grossed out by it um and so because of that like i i'm I'm very like i guess picky in terms of where i'm able to go out and eat because i don't like going to restaurants where they serve like really just i don't know processed food or greasy food or stuff I don't like going to, like, the malls and stuff because all the food there is, like, extremely high calories. Like, one Cinnabon is fucking 2,500 calories. Uh, and that's what you're supposed to have in a day. I'm like, holy fuck. Like, that's so much. However, in a way, it did worsen my food with my relationship with food because now I'm, like, very conscious about calories. And I'm constantly thinking, like, ooh. Like, if I go out to eat with friends, they're like, oh, let's go to In-N-Out. I'm like, do I want to go to In-N-Out? The fries and the double-double is going to be, like, 1,000 calories. 1200 calories can i like quote unquote afford that in my food budget because i already ate two meals Mm -hmm. and if each meal is like 600 and i'm already at 1200 like another 1200 i'm like oh that's kind of a lot i don't know if i want to eat that and i start just overthinking it and that does kind of stress me out because i'm like oh my fucking what can i eat i can't eat anything i am just stressed so i'm definitely very conscious about calories now i look at the calories and everything i'm like am i like eating a lot or am i eating enough am i eating too much um recently i not recently like a year and a half ago i stopped counting my calories and just eating whenever like i try to just be mindful about when i eat like when i'm hungry is when i when i'll actually eat um and also just being mindful about what i'm eating but not overly picky like i'll make sure that my emphasis on what what i decide to eat something is that is it going to have a lot of protein and then, like, is it not going to be too heavy on sugar or, like, fats or something? And that's what I focus on. So, I try to eat a lot of, like, whole foods, a lot of vegetables. I'll, like, stuff my plate with vegetables and just eat it. And it's like almost I'm, like, forcing myself to like these things, like, at, with brute force because I know it's good for me. So, there was a lot of vegetables that I did not like, like squash and, like, carrots and steamed carrots, steamed squash, all, all of that, right? But I learned to just keep, like, forcing, like, feeding myself it and just forcing myself to eat it because I know it's good for me. And eventually I know I'll like it because that's kind of how it works. And it did work. And now, like, I love vegetables and I love eating, like, a bunch of vegetables. What Mm. made you want to stop, like, counting your calories on the app? I think it's that I was getting, like, I was like, do I want to be doing this forever? Like, it's not sustainable to be doing it forever. I was like, I've learned it. I've learned a lot about how many calories are in what, what foods are high in protein, what foods are good for you. So I should just stop, be mindful about it because I don't just want to binge and like eat a ton of bad stuff, but not be so restrictive. Yeah, I like went through like the same thing where before it was like, like an uncontrollable relationship with food and it went to a very like over controlled like relationship with food where because you introduced me to my fitness pal (laughs) and so like i started counting calories every day as much as i could and there was a good like during 2020 specifically all i ate were salads like i had a hyper fixation on salads it was all i ate i wouldn't eat whatever my mom cooked i would eat a salad and and I was like, oh, because I was so determined to get happier and, like, better my mental health in, like, all ways possible, which means I had to stop eating, like, stop my binge eating habits and my unhealthy eating habits. And so I thought that by me only eating salads and, like, salads are healthy or whatever, um, I would, you know, become happier and I would not feel so bad about myself and my body but it was it was bad sometimes all i could think about was like a salad like because i was never satisfied i was never satisfied like i would eat a salad and it would like you know i would be filled up for a good 30 minutes yeah (laughs) and then after the 30 minutes i was hungry again and Mm -hmm. i was like okay well i have to wait like approximately like three hours for my next salad and i would during the next three hours this a salad was just on the back of my mind and it was like oh my god it was horrible but basically how i got over that was like college literally as soon as i went to college you forgot about your salad yeah no yeah like it was like 
I need to eat when I'm full. Like, I'll eat when I'm satisfied. Obviously, I avoid, um, like, unhealthy foods as much as possible. But if I do, like, eat a burger or whatever, I'm not going to, like, resent myself for it. Like, how I did in the past. Yeah. If, like, oh, my God. I remember one time <laughs> during the road trip. This road trip was, like, not, I don't know. It was, like, peak bad. What road trip? Um, our road trip to Yosemite. Okay. Um, like we stopped at McDonald's, and I do not really like fast food. Um, but it was the only thing available. And I just remember eating it, and I was like, fuck, fuck. like, and I was like stressing out. Like I was googling, like, okay, how the fuck do I get rid of sodium in oh. my like body? Like how do I get rid of sodium? Yeah. yeah. Like I was, just, I need it. I need to get this out of my system right now. Um. I was terrified of sodium. I still kind of am, but like, why? Why sodium specific? Sodium because I think that's like a main component of like bloatedness. Yeah, bloatingness. And I, what one of my biggest insecurities is um my cheeks. Like people make fun of it all the time, uh, and I just I know it's not even that bad, and it's not. A bad thing like I, i'm trying to embrace it but for the longest time i hated it and i still kind of hate it but um i just knew that like sodium was basically my biggest enemy mm-hmm. i hated it and mcdonald's and all other fast foods have so much sodium in them and so when we ate mcdonald's on that road trip i was mm-hmm. I, yeah. was, I was spiraling yeah yeah i can believe that yeah i've i'm i never got to the point where like maybe maybe for a bit there was a point where like i would feel really terrible if i ate something bad and i honestly no i i still do um i still have a hard time letting go and like indulging in sweets or in like fast food or pizza or hamburgers or something that's like typically like unhealthy right um and it's because that kind of goes back to obviously my appearance and my body and just how I view myself. And I think of one bad meal as like a setback. I'm like now, like I could have been one meal ahead, but now I'm one meal behind. And like now I'm over my calories and now I, you know, I'm going to gain weight and it's going to turn a little bit into fat when it, like I shouldn't have even done that. Um, but I, I slowly remind myself, like, it's fine. I'm consistent, like, 90% of the time. Like, that 10% where I just eat whatever I want is just part of the balance. And I think it's really, really important to remind yourself of that. Is one, see your body as just this thing you have to take care of. Like, if you were taking care of a plant. Like, you're not going to pour Coke on your plant. So, think, you know, give it some water. Like, imagine, I think vis- for me specifically, visualizing what the food is going to do to my body really helps me want to eat more of it. Um, and instead of craving, like I never really crave like fast food or like snacks or like junk food or anything like that, because I, I imagine what it's going to do to my body. And I just imagine myself eating it and like seeing it go down my throat and my stomach and like sit there. I'm like, that's kind of gross. But then I think about like vegetables and I think about fresh foods and fruits and vegetables and meats and, you know, carbs and all that. And I think about eating that and I think just, it looks pretty colorful foods look pretty. And they're going to, like, be good with water and stuff. And so, for me, that has really helped me, like, learn to love eating healthy. Because I know for a lot of people, it's how do I get rid of the cravings? Like, I want to find the balance, but I just love this food so much. For me, it's just imagining it. Yeah, I, I get that. It's important to have a balance. People restrict themselves too much of, like, I really can't indulge in this. Like, yeah. I can't. But you can. Like... It takes a lot of trial and error, I think, for you to find that balance. But I kind of did during college and before. You know how, like, there's the freshman 15 thing? Yeah. Oh, bro. Like, <laughs> we don't know this what that was, is. What is that? Freshman, oh, well, freshman 15 is this, like, college myth that during your freshman year, oh, you're, you're going to gain 15 pounds. pounds because of, like, the dining halls and you're not exercising as much and stuff like that. And I was like, this is, this is my worst fear. Like, I, I cannot go to college for that. Um, but surprisingly, I went to college and I was eating a healthy m- amount of like everything. Like every now and then, sure, I'll like go get boba with my friends or I'll get, you know, like I would 
treat myself, but at the same time, I still took care of my body in the sense that I try to mainly eat only healthy foods. And instead of like gaining 15 pounds, I lost 20 pounds <gasps> during college. Yeah, Whoa. Like, yeah, I know. You I have that much us? to lose. Wow. Yeah, a lot of people never really like noticed how like I guess not. I wasn't even overweight. I was like at a perfectly fine weight, but um, yeah, like damn, I was at. I mean, this is like personal, but yeah, um, ahead. I was at one forty, which is crazy to think about. Like, I don't know. Um, but then now I'm at one twenty, and. I, I I don't know. I really like my body now. Like that's, that's good. I I really really do, and I never really felt more confident until like now. Like I don't know. And like I'm not on a restrictive diet. I sure I my eating habits are irregular, but I eat enough until I'm satisfied each day, and I'll treat myself whenever I want to. Yeah. But I always have to keep in mind. Okay, let's avoid this. Let's avoid that. Mm. But yeah, like it's possible. You don't have to, you know, prioritize like diets and exercise and all of that for you to kind of have a healthy relationship with food and stuff. Yeah. But it's different for everybody. My body's different. I don't know. I love that you say that you love your body right now because that's really good to hear for our listeners. And also like in a very stark contrast, I don't like my body at all. I, I don't feel confident in my body at all. It's not what I want it to be. It doesn't look like what I wish it looked like. But I still have a healthy relationship with food. I'm not restricting myself because I know that's not going to get me the body I want. I know the the body I want will only be achieved if I exercise consistently, if I go on walks, and if I treat my body with the care that it deserves. And that's by putting good foods in it, by eating a lot of protein, eating the right amount of carbs, the right amount of fats, healthy fats. And if I keep doing that consistently, even just one day at a time, eventually I'll get there. And sometimes I get really frustrated that I'm not there yet. I'm like, I'm so tired of seeing everyone around me seeming to like have the body that I want, but I don't have it yet. And I get frustrated. I want to give up and just like, I don't know, sabotage myself. But I'm like, I can't. I have to just like keep going. And it's like, gets very discouraging, but I guess I just have to remind myself that if I really want that, it's just going to take a lot of work. So if you're like me and you're not quite there yet, um, just keep implementing good habits and eventually they do pay off. Yeah. And another thing, like, I don't necessarily, I used to have a dream body. I mean, I think everyone kind of did where it's, it's all the same. Like guys want a lot of muscles and like very lean and built. Um, women want like a slim waist and all of that. It's all pretty much the same. And I kind of like stopped giving a fuck about what a dream body was or like what kind of, cause I think a, the dream body is just mainly constructed by what society wants and not what the person wants at all. Um, you only want it because society has taught you that like, that's the ideal when in reality, it doesn't have to be the ideal. And I kind of gave up on, like, trying to chase so hard on, like, this ideal image of my body and accept it for what it is. Like, learning to kind of love your body for what it is, it's really important because sometimes it's just, it is achievable, but don't bash yourself for, like, not getting there yet. You know, it's like your body for what it is. Learning to love yourself is a whole nother thing. I mean, I would say I'm more neutral about my body. I'm not like in love with it where it's like I love like my stomach, <laughs> I love this and that. I'm not I don't love it. But I also don't hate it. Yeah, exactly. Like it's it's not learning to like, oh my god, I have the best body in the world, but it's like this is my body and like it is what it is and every day I'll make like, you know, efforts to like, you know, move forward, but you know, it is this is it. That's so funny. Remember like that acne neutrality shit and that how <laughs> we were on the opposite side and now on this topic, <laughs> you're the one that's body neutral and I'm like, no, not neutral. I want that dream body. I like, I see what you mean and I totally like, I remind myself of that. I'm like, I should just love myself right now but still want to be somewhere. I think I am doing that but 
I still can't let go of the idea because there's I want to see what I would look like and I want to look that way because that's how I want to look. And I'm like, I really hope I can get there because I'm going to be, I'm like, I get so close to giving up and be like, maybe I'll just practice self-love. But I can't. Not yet. Not yet. Why do you resort to like self-love in terms of like giving up? Because like, why do you only do that? Because I almost see like, self-love as being complacent and just being at peace within losing that drive because right now and this applies to everything in my life there's dreams i want to achieve there's places i want to be and i have this like i don't like where i am i want to keep going i want to keep going and i guess i see like oh but i'm thankful for where i am because i already have it better than most so why even you know chase more just be happy with what you have um and I'm scared of doing that because I'm like, well, then I'm not going to advance because I'll just be happy where I'm at. Like, why ask for more? And maybe that is the secret of happiness and the secret of loving your body and everything that it stands for. It's like, why keep chasing for this body you want to have when you could just love yourself and you're kind of just going to be happy and you don't have to keep working so hard. So that's why I see it as that. Mm. I mean, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. But if you think like that, you're never really going to be satisfied with anything in your life i will once i'm like eight percent body fat <laughs> like girl like i on. swear like bro i'm telling you if i have eight percent body fat i'll be like then i'll have the courage to be like i'll practice self-love <laughs> this book. I, don't know. I don't want to practice self-love i think like you 8%. can practice self-love but no. still chase your dreams like literally you it can does. still work on yourself yeah while being like don't like you know it's just like you don't need yeah. a bash on yourself while yeah. doing no, it no i really should i really don't i really don't and i've okay. noticed that i'm like very hateful towards myself i'm like god i look like who would want this who would find pleasure in this like this is like disgusting i don't want to look like this and so i try to remind myself not to do that but like i still definitely do so it's you i say, still have a long way to go you said who like who would want this yeah. Who are you talking about when you say like, who? you know, like who would find this physically attractive? Like who would be like, wow, like you're so hot. Like I don't believe people that are like, you're so hot. I'm like, I like I don't believe it. Like, you know, so it's it is I still have a long way to go when it comes to like mm-hmm. learning to believe yeah. people can find me attractive if I don't look like the way that I think I should look. Yeah. I think just society's conventions of like what beauty is and what we want or what everybody wants like wants it's like just really disrupting like the way we love ourselves and stuff because like sure i'm not i'm really five four like i i'm not tall at all i'm not very built um or anything but i still can find myself attractive and I don't know, like, I, you really do have to separate, like, your ideas of what, like, is attractive from what society deems attractive. Yeah. yeah. It's it's difficult, but, like... It's a hard thing well, to I have a distinct. Question. I, I completely agree with what you're saying, Thomas. And I'm curious, like, do you think you would still be saying this if you were your past weight? Yeah, like you would you want, I mean? like that's what I mean. Imagine yourself at your past weight, and would you be able to truly be like, I'm just gonna stop, just, I'm just gonna love myself, stop here. Like, why try to I'm, lose weight? I mean, if I was like genuinely, if that was where I was, and I was like making the effort and stuff, like I was exercising and I was taking care of myself, literally, like if I had a healthy relationship with food and I was still at 140, then like, yeah, like, I don't know. It's because it's, it's hard because you because sometimes you're like, I'm not even looking at what society wants in a man. I'm looking at what I want, and what I want just happens to be the same as what society that's, wants. It, that's what I'm getting at. It's like I agree with what you're saying. Like you know, very much everything is based on like society standards, and mm-hmm. to an extent, I mean, yeah, everybody's desires are shaped by it, big or small. You know, mm-hmm. um, and so that's why I was just curious because right now. I, I would say for like most of us, we do fit into the standards for the most part. You know, maybe not like celebrity standards or like LA standards, but we're conventional. So I feel like it is easier for us to like say that. Yeah. But if we 
weren't, you know, would we be preaching the same like ideology? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's I don't necessarily think like what I'm not like. What I'm trying to say is not like love yourself in every aspect possible, like because that's just very toxic, like mm-hmm. positive, yeah, like neutral. Yeah. yeah, like no, like love yourself, and even though like someone literally can't love themselves like people keep telling love yourself and i'm i think i just don't know how to articulate it well but it's like it's be neutral right not not being not necessarily <laughs> be neutral but just appreciate it for what it is you know like yeah i don't know i think it is just being neutral it's kind of the same thing with acne like we weren't saying find it beautiful or find it ugly it's just like just it is what it is like be neutral about it Mm -hmm. like your body my body it is what it is like it is what it is and i'm not going to be like it's ugly Mm -hmm. and i'm not going to be like it's beautiful i'm like it is what it is however there's still a way i want to look i'm going to keep going towards that while not fucking hating myself and despising myself resenting myself it's okay not to love your body but i'm encouraging everyone to like find peace with like mm. how your body is yeah and if you want to work towards a specific body you want then work towards it but i think people just like associate what their current body is with like this is like horrible and it's not horrible it's just it just is you know it's your body yeah, yeah. you could say it's a it's a privilege mm-hmm. to um have the body that you want some people don't have the same access from of uh other people and at that point you know it's just like it is what it is yeah. just appreciate except what it is so that's it for this episode uh, it was a long one but i think it was a really important one um i hope you learned something and at least gave you a new perspective uh, we're also going to be speaking to an expert uh that specializes in eating disorder on young with young people um he does a lot of work at ucla so he's a obviously a lot more qualified than us to talk about the actual implications of what is an eating disorder how does it affect your life and how can you recover from it but anyways uh love your body and if if you don't want to love it or if you're not there yet just see it for what it is um put good things in it care of it like if it was a plant that you're nurturing um and yeah we will see you in the next episode bye bye, bye. So now we have Dr. Michael Wetter on the podcast, who is a clinical psychologist. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. I'd love to hear a little bit more about yourself and the kind of work you do. Sure. Um, In a nutshell, uh, as you had mentioned, I'm a clinical psychologist. Uh, In addition to my private practice work, uh, I also serve as the uh, director of psychology for two programs at UCLA, uh, one of which is the uh, inpatient stabiliz- medical stabilization program at UCLA Santa Monica Hospital for Eating Disorders. And the other uh, is our outpatient clinic called Nourish for Life, uh, which in which the uh, medical director is Dr. Elaine Rosen, and I am the psychological director and primary psychologist. Wow, that's really incredible. And I just want to know, do you, is a lot of your work revolving around eating disorders in young people? Absolutely. And, the, and these two programs, that's primarily who we see. And I would say the age range of, of those whom we try to support and help goes from about as young as maybe eight years of age all the way up through about 27 years of age. Oh, wow. Eight years of age. There's a lot of stuff happens even that early on. Absolutely. That's really interesting because, I mean, I, well, first of all, what does an eating disorder look like at that age of eight? You know, interestingly enough, it, it's you know, eating disorder itself, if, if we're going to look at sort of an operational definition, okay, uh, are their behavioral conditions and they're characterized by, let's just call them significant or severe persistent disturbances in eating behaviors. And they're associated with very distressing thoughts and emotions, okay, often distorted thoughts and I don't want to say exaggerated emotions because I think that's insensitive to the experience of it, but where the emotional response is disproportionate to the perceived threat. And whether you are eight or 18 or 80 years of age, that combination 
of distress associated with the behavior of eating can result in many different varied ways of presentation. The difference that we see for someone who's, let's just say, 10 years of age versus somebody who's 18 years of age or even 20 or 25 is that a young child doesn't necessarily yet have the vocabulary nor the capacity or insight to be able to express how they feel in a way that resonates with, you know, uh, the conceptualization of either therapy or even themselves. They may just say, I don't feel good or I feel bad or that's bad. And it's, it's sort of the way I've sort of experienced this. And, and, you know, I'm going to speak now as, as a metaphor or analogy. It's like if you were to walk down the road and you see somebody who just looks confused and distressed and panic, and you ask them what's going on and how you can help. And they speak to you in a foreign language that you don't understand and they don't understand English. And Mm. what is our tendency to do? Our tendency is to speak louder. You know, as if our communication all of a sudden is going to (laughs) click because we're speaking louder and they get more agitated and then we get more agitated. And then after a while, we feel useless and they feel like we were useless and they feel there was no help, you know, and benefit in asking for help. And I think sometimes with young kids, that's can kind of be the experience, which is they don't know how to express themselves necessarily. And we try to ascertain by sometimes speaking louder or repeating the same question or repeating the same question in different ways. And really what it necessitates is trying to understand their experience. Mm. And I think that's a universal truth, no matter what age, you know, we're dealing with, which is how do we understand that person's experience, whether it be their suffering, whether it be their, their joys, the things that have worked for them to help them cope. So the, the trick is, you know, how do you find it for the age group you're talking with and for the person you're talking with? Really, the the language I use is I like to understand their narrative. I like to understand their story. Interesting. You like to understand their story. And what does that look like in someone that's 18? Is there, when you try to understand their story, do you mean you want to understand their relationship with food? It it goes, it transcends beyond food. Um, Although that's inclusive in that. Okay. Um, When you have eating disorders, like take, for example, anorexia. Okay. Anorexia Mm -hmm. nervosa is you know a very very serious condition potentially because of all mental health diagnoses that is the one with the highest rate of mortality okay surpassing even major depressive disorder and has the highest rate of mortality so a common misconception i think of anorexia nervosa is that it's a fear of food uh and it's not a fear of food it's a fear of gaining weight Mm -hmm. Uh, food is merely the mechanism and the pathway towards the gaining of weight. Okay. So there's an irrational fear, although it seems very justifiable to that person about the fear of gaining weight. When I refer to understanding the narrative, I'm speaking about understanding the person and their experience in the world. You know, more often than not, I conceptualize eating disorders, especially anorexia nervosa under the sort of the rubric of more generalized anxiety. Okay, not to be confused with generalized anxiety disorder, but just the the framework of anxiety. Right. And more often than not, their perception, their perception of what is a threat is often distorted, but their reaction is to react in a way where they are feeling either vulnerable or threatened. Um, This results in activation of our nervous system, the fight or flight mechanism, if you will. Okay. Uh, and the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous systems. So focusing just on their relationship with food is certainly an important aspect of this, but not in its entirety. So I want to understand when I get to know somebody, what has their life been like? What is their family dynamic like? What is their, you know, relationships like? What was their experience like at school with friends and clubs or expectations of themselves? All of these things, the various characters in their life, you know, there are some very common traits to those who have and suffer from eating disorders, especially anorexia. Uh, The tendency or desire towards perfectionism, Mm. okay, highly intelligent, highly sensitive of their environment, very much uh, creatures of routine and rules, people pleasing, Okay, the uh, the desire to, you know, have a high sense of drive and achievement and accomplishment uh, and very, very anxious. They tend to be anxious warriors. So I think in those regards, 
there is a tremendous amount of information that one can obtain in getting to know them in order to better understand their eating disorder. Interesting. So it's not even oftentimes about just that they are afraid of food or, or just don't like the texture. It's, it's that there's a fear of gaining too much weight or could it, is there also times where it's simply just, there's not enough self-love that there's like a, you know, you start to think there's, I don't want to care for my body. I, you know, in, in some ways, I, I think that's a very, it's a very good question and a very complicated answer. Mm. Um, because I don't think it necessarily comes down to self-love. And I also don't think it can be simplified as self-loathing in many ways. They are trying to achieve an image, which they are feeling satisfied in. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, like I said, it, it goes back to this sort of cognitive distortion, you know, even a visual distortion, they don't see themselves as wasting away. They see themselves trying to achieve something that they think will not only look right, but feel right. And that's the, that's the distortion in this, you know, um, right. sometimes I conceptualize anorexia nervosa or eating disorders as like a separate beast, a separate entity, mm -hmm. you know, uh, where it takes over and hijacks our capacity to think logically and clearly. And our, you know, there's, there's an, you know, I'll say an older movie, even though to me it doesn't seem that old, The Usual Suspects, you know, and one of the great lines from that movie is the greatest trick the devil ever pulled is convincing the world he doesn't exist. And I think that can be said for eating disorders. It's, it's a very egocentric condition, which means that the person doesn't experience it as an illness or distressing. For them, it feels like it actually helps. It feels like they have better control. It feels natural to them and beneficial. They even feel healthier. They feel better. Um, and at the same time, they are engaging in a pattern of behaviors that are extremely dangerous. Yeah. That seems like an incredibly complicated mix of, of just, I guess, situations. So how do you even begin to treat an eating disorder? I'm still learning. You know, uh, I, you know, I, I, I I can't claim to have the answer in terms of what is the best way. I think we start with trying to understand who, who that individual is, what their struggle has been. And then over time, not just develop a healthier relationship with food. Okay. And one of the ways we, you know, we can start to do that is by, you know, explaining not that food equals fat, but what food serves, how food serves our bodies. Okay. That food is a source of fuel. Fuel is energy. Our bodies need energy, but also how to appreciate and accept our bodies, not just for what they look like, but for what they allow us to do, you know? Um, right. And I think it's, it's in, in the age in which we're living in, which there's so much focus on the visual, when you consider social media, mm. when you consider just the fact that everybody is posting images, not just static images, but also video and, and also the capacity in which we have to enhance or modify those images the ideal and the expectation is unrealistic. So we, we can't blame anybody now for having a, an exaggerated notion of what they should look like. We are a very visually focused and, and, and concentrated world in terms of what we perceive of each other. But I think it's also hearkening back to considering what our bodies actually do for us. You know, mm -hmm. the, the ability to walk, the ability to think, the ability to interact, the ability to converse, the ability to open a door, you know, the basic things. You know, I've, I've often, you know, mentioned to people more as an icebreaker at times, which is like, look, if, if all of a sudden, God forbid, you lost the ability to walk, do you think you would be so focused on how you appeared on a, on a photo? You know, not to say that that's, you know, any way of breaking through, but it just changes the perception for a second. And mm -hmm. highlights what do we take for granted at times, um, but that you know I, I don't want to also put out there the myth, the, the misconception that it's that easy. Okay, right. this you know eating disorders are a form of what is perceived as self protection. Okay, almost that evolutionary trait or flight or flight. I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to control that which I feel out of control in. And I think in better understanding what people perceive to be the threat, 
that's when you can start to understand and bring them back to understanding their their perception of threat in a different way. Interesting. And in your time studying eating disorders, what is there something you notice that what I guess what triggers someone to start to develop an eating disorder later in life when they used to have a perfectly okay relationship with food and themselves? It's a great question. And once again, you ask great questions and I don't have great answers, okay? <laughs> but I can offer you this, which is it's never one thing, mm. okay? Uh, eating disorders are more often than not biogenetic, psychosocial, uh, in, in nature and in the etiology, uh, meaning that it's never just one thing. More often than not, people are born with a genetic predisposition to higher increased states of anxiety and anxiety arousal. And also there's a biological predisposition to eating disorders as well. Meaning if someone in your family has an eating disorder, it's not a guarantee that you will have one, but there's a higher predisposition towards one. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I sort of conceptualize that, that question to sort of, you know, in, in addressing that question is it's kind of like walking around with a loaded gun. The genetics are the loaded gun and mm -hmm. the environment pulls the trigger. So you can be walking around for years with this sort of loaded genetic predisposition, okay? And all of a sudden something happens and, and just your, your way of dealing with that threat or that situation or that perceived threat is to start doing things differently. And it never starts with, well, you know what? I'm going to start now with an eating disorder. It starts usually with, you know, I want to try to be more healthy. I want to try to eat more, you know, a bit more healthy, or I want to lose a little bit of weight and I want to get back into better shape and all these other little things, which otherwise become, you know, accepted by society as, as, as normal, healthy, appropriate goals, but they're hijacked and they're hijacked by, again, this genetic mm. predisposition to the sort of, if you will, a cousin of OCD, okay, yeah. which is you lose control of that that's the danger. Interesting. That's, that's a really scary point. Because as you said, there is on social media, this emphasis on looking a certain way. And, you know, even you go on places like TikTok, where you're fed constant videos of people sharing their eating routines, how healthy they're eating, how much exercise they're getting. And it feels almost like, is there a sense of you know, you, you, you gave this metaphor. It's like you're walking around with this loaded gun and it's like you don't know what's going to trigger it. So how do you live your life if you're not necessarily sure, like, what if I'm predispositioned for this? Could this be dangerous? Is there a way to engage in these, in these things that could be considered a trigger in a healthy way? Very good question. And again, I think this is where you rely on your support network. This is where mm. you rely on your family and your friends, you know, eating disorders rarely become evident until there's something to observe. Okay. Objectively observe, you know, where you start to see somebody and you're like, wow, you, you look a lot different. Okay. than you did even a month ago or so. And sometimes that, that person will take it as a compliment and they'll, it'll be reinforcing, but to say, and I'm worried about you, I'm concerned about you, you mm -hmm. know, uh, you know, people who suffer from eating disorders adapt masterful traits at learning to disguise it. Uh, I, I, I'm a huge believer that eating disorders love to lurk in the shadows. They hide, they're isolative. Mm. So somebody could sit down with you for, for dinner or for lunch and they could masterfully just sort of cut their food and mix it around and maybe take a bite, but not a really big bite. And they'll put it on this side of the plate or that side of the plate or, you know, or, or they'll say, well, I really was really full cause I had such a big breakfast or I had such a, you know, late snack or whatever it may be what you start to look for, are what are the patterns and what are the uh, themes? And then the other thing to be mindful of is at what point in time, in terms of self-reflection, do you feel you're being, that your life is dominated by these rituals, by these needs that you have to do, uh, where all of a sudden your life becomes about food or the avoidance thereof or burning off calories or restricting or purging? where everything that was important to you plays second fiddle to making sure that I don't gain weight or making sure that I can only eat this type of food. You are looking for the fact where the eating disorder sort of takes over your life. And that's the point 
where we see the intervention come into play. Wow. So lastly, are there any resources for people that might either see themselves starting to have an unhealthy relationship with their body, food, and fear that they might be going towards a path of developing an eating disorder? Great question and an important question. Yes, there are pathways. Okay. Unfortunately, with the, you know, experience of our COVID-19 pandemic, we saw a dramatic rise in presentation for eating disorders. Okay. And it's really brought to light the the significant severity and, and prevalence of eating disorders, as well as a myriad of other mental health related concerns. You know, um, I think the pathways include reaching out. That means reaching out to family members where appropriate, friends. You know, if you're a university student, reaching out to your uh, counseling resources, you know, or mm. mental health facilities uh, resources. It could be reaching out to your primary care doctor. Okay. Um, what we find are people now are reaching out to, for therapists and for programs, which is great. Um, but sometimes there's extensive wait lists for those. So you don't have to wait for the perfect venue to present itself. Reaching out to anybody and really just starting that process is probably the most important thing I can recommend at this point in time. As I mentioned before, the danger with eating disorders is it's extremely isolative. It likes to lurk in the shadows. So probably one of the best things you can do is shine the light. Shine the light on your struggle. Shine the light on your concern. Doing so gives you back ownership over your life. Remember, an eating disorder is trying to take over your life. The best thing you can do is take your life back. And it starts with making it out of the shadows and into the center. Wow. Thank you so much, doctor. This has been incredibly insightful on what an eating disorder even is, because I think sometimes there tends to be a a lot of misinformation on what it looks like. So I think this is going to be really helpful. And to anyone listening, I encourage you to reach out for help because that is ultimately the first steps. And you would be surprised that even just people you wouldn't expect can help in many different ways. Um, Thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for doing what you do. Thank you.